Okay, so now we're recording. So welcome to another episode of the Wisdom Experience podcast. I am Clay Lowe, your host here today, and my co-host is... Naomi Martell-Bundock. Awesome. So now this episode we're actually recording, it's pre-recorded of course as you're listening to this, but it's actually happening during Mental Health Awareness Week. So I think the topic that we're talking about is quite appropriate for uh, this week's topic and i know we're releasing in what two weeks and Mm -hmm. you know maybe we might want to start with this one just flip the order of them because because the recency might kind of work um for folks because again it's a it's a big topic when you start talking about mental health um the work-life balance often comes up in that equation um and it's one that's kind of plagued me for a while or a long while a whole of my life perhaps maybe I don't know working life um because I have trouble drawing and I'm using the wrong words I guess I'm saying trouble I don't draw a lot of distinction between work and life so the question when people say to me about work-life balance and I think well that doesn't make any sense at all are you saying that when you're working you're not alive you're not living so how is that different from life? And I tell you what I'm driven by. So I have this what's you know my gold standard for the thing that I've been striving for. Uh, we can unpack some of this because there's a lot of stuff that's kind of gone into my brain <laughs> in this. But the gold standard that I have is a uh, it's a a quote from a guy named James Mishner, and it's on the art of living, and he says. The master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his religion. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence at whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he is working or playing. To him, he is always doing both. And for me, that's always been the goal. I mean, that's what I've been trying to make my life like that, you know, because we, you know, they say we spend the majority of our time working. Um, And I was thinking, well, if I'm going to spend the majority of my time working, then it should be something that I can't tell whether I'm working or not working. Um, And and I I know I'm talking a whole lot, but there's one other story that I'll relate to you into this as well. And where I've seen it play out. And I remember um, it was a blues musician. I can't remember his name. He was a young kid. He was only like 23 or something like that. And he was being interviewed. And he gets a lot of stick from old blues men and stuff like that. Because they're saying, oh, you haven't paid your dues. You haven't done this and that. Um, because he, And he's got all this fame and stuff in you know, magazines, writing articles and things about him. He said, you know, look... Um, if you took all, all I like doing is playing. If you took all this away from me today, I would just go right back to the street corner where I was at and just keep playing because that's the only thing that matters to me. And again, for me, that's just the epitome of it. As in, you know, for him, all the stuff around him was no odds. He just loved playing. Um, and whether he was getting accolades for it or he was living on the street and playing, didn't care. But it was all the other people around him that, you know, cared. Um, and then there's that last thing was that old saying of if you love what you do and you do what you love, you'll never work another day in your life. And I think those two things have been my driver, my 
my um, holy grail of work that I've been searching for. Well, you are definitely in flow today. Um, and I think that's probably a really good example of because you are so passionate about this. And I think it is a very, ah, is grey area the right word for a lot of people who are interested in personal development? And kind of to pick up your almost your last point first, you know, do what you love, love what you do, and you'll never work another day. Absolutely right. And, and you and I are both like that. Um, we do still have bills to pay. And that's kind of the where I think the issue gets thrown up is certainly for people who have kind of got into one strand of a career and they kind of keep going down the line and maybe they keep getting promoted and their bills get bigger and then they get promoted and their bills get bigger and there's more of that they're kind of almost tied into something that they may have loved originally but they may not quite love the same now because circumstances have changed we change as we get older um, and they may feel that they're kind of stuck in there which is what then I think leads to this question around work-life balance. So I, I go to work to earn money, but I'd rather be doing something else other than the work that I'm doing. Because that's the common reframe. The common reframe is, and, and I, I can't have to find a statistic, but there is a statistic, um, and I think I picked it up from Ken Weber on his integral site or one at some place like that, that basically said the majority of people um, don't like their work you know they go to work because i got bills to pay got cars to feed and mouths to feed and i got all the toys to pay for but given the choice if they didn't have to work then they wouldn't be work they wouldn't work because you know who wants to work right because that was the other thing is like someone you know one of the questions you know when i was very early in the whole sort of life coaching stuff was um this idea that you know if you know you're in the right job as if you stopped getting paid for it, you would still continue to do it anyway. Then you know you found your life's calling, your passion, your because you're not you're not driven to do it by money, but by completing your purpose or your drive or your the thing that you know that your passion that you hear kind of people kick around. And so that was one of the questions to as a litmus test for whether you were in the right job or not, is that would you still do it even if you weren't getting paid? Um, and again, that's another thing that I've always strived to find in my work is would I still do this thing even if I wasn't getting paid? Um, so yeah, so this whole idea about, you know, if I'm at work, does work imply something you're doing and you don't like doing it, therefore it's in quotation marks work and I got to work because I got to eat and I got to do all these things. Um, and then when I'm done working, because I'm not living when I'm working, then I can do the rest of my life, which makes no sense to me. That just seems crazy. To, it seems crazy to me because we don't have a lot of time on earth. So <laughs> if you're going to spend time, the majority of your time working, and you don't like doing the thing that you're doing, it's not a passion, it's just a thing I need to do because i got to pay the bills, then all that time gets gobbled up, eaten, and then you get spit out at 65 if you make it that long. The best years of your life are gone. And now you're dead. 
And then did you ever get a chance to live? So all of those are extremely valid points and kind of all overlap and go off in different directions. Um, you're absolutely right. And, and and your point then about, you know, 65, if you make it that long, or of course, and there is a huge amount of, uh, of research that's been done that says, you know, people who've worked hard, and by that I mean long hours, um, jobs that uh, let's say, engage the brain, and they'll retire at 65, and they're dead within two or three years. And that's to do with stress. And, you know, we can obviously pick up and talk a lot about stress, because as you know, that's one of my big areas of, of knowledge and experience. Um, but th there's a few other things that you mentioned there. And I think this is so I, I think there may be plenty of people who are doing jobs that they don't particularly enjoy. I suspect there's a heck of a lot more people who are doing jobs that if they didn't have to, for example, engage in the politics uh, within the company, or if they didn't have certain chunks of areas of their jobs that has kind of come to them the longer they've stayed in that role, then I think they would enjoy still the core of what they do. Yeah, that's kind of like my experience with the military. War is a dirty business, right? So how can you really enjoy war? But actually, if you ever want to feel alive, being in that kind of situation, you're a hundred percent. You know, people talk about, hey, be live in the moment. You know, in that environment, you have to live in the moment, or you get killed, you die. And so the intensity of that is such a narcotic. And I think General Lee said it's a good thing that war is so terrible. At least we would grow too fond of it. Um. And so, yeah, so then it was like, okay, if I could strip away all the war stuff and, he could, you know, all the killing and, and things, could I still replicate that same thing without having to do all the killing and dying? Um, then it would be the perfect job. Like I could have been a platoon leader for the rest of my life. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, is it some of those other things around when you're working that you don't want to deal with, but if you could get on with doing just a job, you'd be happy, which I think why some people go self-employed under the false assumption that I could just focus on the things that I like doing. I don't have to do the office politics and all that, but then they quickly find out, well, now you got to do the books, you got to do the marketing, you got to do all the other things that you didn't have to worry about when you were at work. Now you've got to do it all and you got to do the work. So you've only traded one thing for another. Absolutely. And something it sets off a million directions in my head um you're, you're absolutely right lots of people do go self-employed and they might do that for a whole variety of reasons uh i find there's actually very few people who actively choose to go self-employed there is normally a a lever that sort of puts you into that direction whether it's a redundancy uh whether it's that you're trying to find something that fits around growing children. It's very, very rare the person who actually says, you know what, this isn't for me and here I go, I'm, I'm going to be self-employed. Um, I would be curious actually to know if that changes in, in younger generations. So I don't know, because I mean, in my experience, it's almost kind of the other way around. Most people, you know, in the work that I, most, that I come across, most people just lack the courage to go on that. They want to go on their own. They would like to do their own thing, but they don't have the courage to do their own thing because I got to pay bills, because I got people depending on me, and I don't know if this venture is going to work out, so I just suffer in silence and keep doing. But, boy, given the opportunity to go out 
on my own, I would love to say. I, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who hasn't dreamed about having their own business of some type, whether it's a craft business, whether it's art, whether it's a whole range of things. Um, you, I think you would find it the other way around that most people, that most people have considered doing their own thing of some sort. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm not saying they haven't considered it. Mm. Saying the people who not only actually make the step, but who stay self-employed. Yeah. So we've been in this field for for quite some time now. And actually, you mentioned earlier about coaches, which obviously, you know, we both are. We're both coaches, trainers, mentors. We are very much in that personal development field. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, I've been doing what I do for over 15 years and that specifically as a, as a coach. Mm. Obviously, my whole career, which is... Uh, 25 plus years probably close to 30 now you know is is about personal development but you know even now I've kind of you know you meet coaches and they've they've suddenly trained to be a coach and they're enthusiastic which is great um, but they still haven't learned one of the very basic things which comes back to our work-life balance question uh, which is that you know you don't just go and coach people you need to ask permission it's kind of the rule 101 of coaching and yeah but this that that goes to i don't know if you read um uh the e-myth because he talks about that a long long time ago yeah right? i mean because the point of that was you know in the e-myth is that you have people who are really 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 good at their job and they think and they got a boss and they got to deal with office politics like you mentioned um, and they think, well, I can go out on my own and do it. But what they, again, what they quickly realize is if you go out on your own, you don't just get to do the thing that you're skillful at. So if I'm a coach and I train as a coach, you aren't going to just go and coach. Actually, you got a business to run and you got to wear all the other hats of running a business. And so in the E-Myth, he talks about, you know, you got the entrepreneur, the manager, um, and I forget the other third classification. Um, but you've you've got to move beyond the guy that's turning the tools if you want to go out on your own. So if you really love coaching, you might actually want to stay inside the organization and coach there because then you can just coach. And someone else can do the marketing, someone else can do the sales, someone else can do the book, someone else can do all those other things you don't, you won't, that's going to take you away from coaching. Um, so yeah, so I think... Um, you know, back to sort of the work-life balance piece, and I'm not sure if I can hear you anymore. You can. It's just okay. I was coughing, so I was trying to not. No, no, cough. that's all right. No, that's cool. Yeah. So, so back to sort of work work-life balance. So, I mean, the real dilemma before me, and I think I put in our text thing about you know, is it a myth this work-life balance piece? Mm. Um, because for me, trying to reconcile how is work different from life, um. And I know, you know, one of the questions, an easy question to start off with was, what do we mean by work-life balance? What does that mean to you when someone says work-life balance? How would you define that? It, you're right. And it's it's a challenging question. What does it actually mean? You know, it would be lovely to kind of think of it, and I often use a kitchen analogy, and you open mm. up the cupboards and you've got a jar of work and you've got a jar of life but actually 
it's not lovely to think of that at all. I mm. wouldn't want to go to do a job that I wasn't enjoying. Now, so part of that is mindset. Can you find enjoyment in whatever you do? Um, part of that is exactly, I mean, you and I, you know, have uh, made a living, if you like, out of doing the work that we enjoy and that we love. Although, I mean, I we actually haven't talked recently, but there are definitely bits of running a business that are not my they're not my skill set. They're not my forte, um, but they have to be done. Um, but I always try and find something, some way of doing it or doing it in a way that enriches me, which is kind of, you know, why we're doing the podcast, because mm. we enjoy the conversation. The conversation enriches us. Um, so in terms of the, the work-life balance, and, and this is the point, I suppose, you know, <laughs> again, so, you know, we're called the Wisdom Experience Podcast because we're essentially hoping that as you get more mature, you find more wisdom. And I think that the key is, it's about what does it mean to the individual? So for some people, maybe throughout their whole lives or maybe just at certain parts of their lives, it's about being able to go to work, just think about work and do the work whilst they're doing it and whilst they're there and being paid to do it. And then as they kind of go home and sort of, whether it's shut the factory door or close, you know, walk out the office, whatever it happens to be, they leave it behind them and their head is clear and they can go home and fully participate in home life. Um, so well, so, the- but here's the thing for me, this is the thing, and I, this is where I want to get at. So what's the difference between... And again, so what's the difference? So when I, if you're taking a scenario, so I've done that, now I'm going to go home. So what's different? What's different in between the two scenarios that you say, okay, I'm now shutting off because I'm out of work. Now I'm going home. Are you a different person when you get home? Are you, I mean, what, what is, I mean, the, you know, the definition I came across for work-life balance is, uh, is used to describe the balance that a working individual needs between the time allocated for work and other aspects of life. So pursuing your personal interest, family, or social leisure activities is the sort of common definition of work-life balance. And I guess going off of that definition, then, you know, if I'm at, if I'm at work, so if my work and my play aren't one and the same, which is the thing that I said that I'm striving for, then you're not able to do the play side, the personal interest side, maybe some of these other parts of your being that you are able to do because you're in quotations at work. And then you spend, you know, 9, 10, 12, 16 hours a day at work. There isn't a lot of time left in the day by the time you get home and you eat, you say hi to everybody. And then you're already thinking about, well, I need to get some sleep because I got to get up and I got to do it again. So there's not a lot of time if, you know, if 12 hours of your day have been eaten up um, by work that doesn't fulfill any of your other things like your personal interest or your activities that you gain pleasure out of doing. Hence why my search for the do what you love, love what you do, and you'll never work a day another day in your life. So you'll be working, but it would be the same thing you'd be doing even if you were playing. And that's the that's the thing that I try and best. I don't try to balance out work and life. I try to make my work and my life the same thing. Um, so that when I do need to rest, I've already done my, I'm, I'm actually resting. 
because I've done my work and my playing because it's the same thing. Now I need to rest. And I think actually that third word, rest, is really important because Mm. it's where does that fit in? And, you know, I mean, I think we've all heard stories about places like Google who, you know, let employees sleep under their desks and they have, um, you know, kind of everything they could possibly ever need on site on site. So they could work whatever it is, 18 hour days. 24 seven, baby. So like, I, I mean, I'm not quite sure how that is a life personally, but I do know that when we're younger, you know, we do, we go and if certainly if we do a corporate job, it's all part and parcel. And you know, I think back to um, certainly friends of mine, it didn't really happen in the, the line of work I was in, but, you know, you'd be kind of wined and dined. And the whining and the dining was because somebody wanted to win your business or give you business or whatever it happened to be. And that was very much part of the playing to do with work. Um, what it didn't include was was particularly having the ability to rest. Again, as ever, Claire, you, you've thrown up so many things in that. So I, I think the, the rest, if, if it's a time thing, then I, I, think, I do think it comes back to your mindset and how you feel. Um, if you're at work and you love work, and maybe we could or shouldn't stray into the, the the side that says, is your work identity who you really are? Maybe that's time for another one. No, I, I have that as one of my things later on was to talk about identity through work. I think they play into each other. I think they do. Mm. Um, and I think a lot depends on, I do think a lot depends on the individual that you are. And I keep coming back to the fact that we need different things at different times. So I used to like, before children, I even now, but I used to like working really long hours because when I was in the zone, I was in the zone. And because I'm so into my personal development, it wouldn't matter if it was a, a work project or some kind of developing my skills that were going to help me with work, you know happy to work hours and hours and hours and hours and of course actually you have kids and you just can't do that um and you know as you said we're recording this during mental health week 2020 so we're we've been easing lockdown here in the UK and already I'm becoming aware of how things are going to change yet again I've spent a lot of time and a a length of, of hours working what I've not necessarily done is rest very much within that and and by rest you mean what because I'm sure I'm assuming you go to sleep yes I do and actually well that's that's one of my big cornerstones it never used to be because I could never kind of wind down enough to go to sleep and a lot of people who are on night shifts find this don't they you know they'll they'll come in from a night shift and then they'll sit down and they'll watch something on television and they'll eat something and it takes them a couple of hours to wind down before they can go to bed which throws their circadian rhythms even further um so when you say rest you you mean what when I say rest for me, it basically means if I say disengaging my brain, I sort of mean I want to be engaged a bit like I'm, we're hoping people are going to get from listening to this. They can listen to this without having to contribute, but just enjoy being around the conversation. So, you know, I want to watch things on television that are engaging don't necessarily want to be massively stimulated. Um, 
I'm watching something at the moment. This is us. It's called on, I think it's Amazon. Um, and it's just beautiful and it's interesting and it's about how we develop and how we make choices through life and it's gentle and it's engaging and it's believable that is rest to me whereas so uh, rest is turning off your thinking or critical factors is that what you mean yeah and not ha- yeah you're right actually it is so I'm not having to be in what I would say is an active parent you know I could just mm have a laugh with my children and they don't flip into some kind of behavior that means I kind of have to put my, okay, actually I need to address this issue kind of thing. Right. Cause I was just looking at, or thinking about like a definition of work, which we haven't approached yet. And it's the noun version of it is an activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. If you look at the verb version of work, then it's to be engaged in physical or mental activity in order to achieve a result. Um, so based off of what you were just saying there, if you're looking at it from the verb, but you can just watch the TV because you're not trying to achieve a result. You just literally want to watch the TV and be entertained, but you're not trying to achieve anything by watching the television. Perfectly put, yeah. absolutely. You you know it's kind of it's it's freewheeling, but it's not. You know it's not empty. It's not a, and it's not pointless. It's just that you're not necessarily actually trying to, to achieve an outcome. Yeah, you, yeah. Relax. You're not. You're just. Yeah, you're not trying to achieve anything out of it. Okay. Now, no, I get that, and I think, um, and for me, I know the times where, um. When I think about, because, so, I had a real big battle ages, ages, you know, when my kids were younger, in that, again, and I was employed still, and there was other things that I wanted to do, but I had to go and, you know, by the time you drive into work and commute and all that, so by the time you're all done with work, you know, it's about 12, 13, 14 hours um, between getting ready, going to work, the commute, and all of that. Then, of course, coming home, I had, you know, then you you feel guilty doing anything other than spending time with the kids and then spending time with the wife. And then it's already, you know, 11 o'clock and it's time to go to sleep. So then in my head, it was like, well, when do I get to have clay time? When do I get to do my stuff? Which is one of the reasons why I then started getting up at four o'clock in the morning because it was like, because from a soul point of view, I wasn't getting to do my thing because I had to give all my time to to work and into family, then there was none for me. So I started getting up at four. Then that gave me three hours. It was just clay time. I got four out, four to seven. Um, I can do my thing. And then, and for me, that was the best thing ever because I got to do my thing from four to seven. No one asking for anything. Nobody demanding anything. Was, nobody was up. House quiet. And then I didn't really care about the rest of the day. So I work forever, spin off. I mean, I could do whatever because I've had my clay time. Um, so, you know, it was like, you know, I, I paid myself first. <laughs> um, and then it didn't matter. And the other thing I noticed about relationship-wise, um, when I used to work away, like when I used to do work up in Scotland, I'd be gone all week. Um, I found that, I had more time and attention to the family because I was because I was away, and yep. I didn't have to. Div- I could work the hours that I was working, but then I had all evening to myself. I didn't have to divide my time up between 
you know, sneaking off to still 45 minutes in the gym um, and then play with the kids um, and then do, you know, then spend time with the wife. And then so and then have like, you know, 30 minutes just for me before it was time to go to sleep. So then I found when I was working, I was, I was away. Then when I came home on Friday, I've done everything that I wanted to do. So I was completely, totally, utterly present from Friday when I got home in the evening until when I left again, because I'd already done all of my my stuff already. So, and you know, again with this whole balance thing, it's like if 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 you can construct a scenario where, um, when I am working, I am also playing, like I've said in my original quote. So then when I am not working then I can be totally present because I've already done all the things that feed my soul, that give me energy, that makes my life have meaning and all those kind of things. Um, I haven't had it to divide it out. And I, so I guess for me, it's not work-life balance, but it's making my white, my life and my work the same. So when I put 16 hours into something, I don't then have to think, well, dang, now... I need to, when do I get a chance to go do this other personal thing that I'm interested in or this other thing that I want to do? And then I suddenly dividing up, you know, a small piece of the pie to try and squeeze in working out, eating, spending time with the family and doing my thing. So I absolutely adore that because it is, I rarely use the term work-life balance um, because it, for me, it's all about finding a balance within life. You know, how do you want to to spend your time? And your phrase, you know, basically, how do I feed my soul? Absolutely. Because what we find when we look after ourselves is we have so much more to give other people. And that may not happen immediately, but that's the whole point. You've got to support yourself and look after yourself much easier when your kids are not so young. Um, but I also have a, a question, one of my, because I always like to know these things. So when you are getting up at four o'clock, are, are you still getting up at four o'clock? I get up at five now instead of four. So I get one less hour to myself. <laughs> and so what time do you go to bed? Uh, between 11 and midnight. Like last night, it was after midnight. So, and I don't set an alarm. So my, because people like I ask myself, well, don't I need more sleep? I'm only going with my body rhythm. So if I go to bed at nine, I'm going to be up five hours later. I'll be up at three in the morning. I won't be able to go back to sleep. Um, and so going to bed at the time I go to bed, I don't set an alarm at all. I don't need it. My, I wake up at the same time ish, give or take five or 10 minutes every day. No need for an alarm at all. Then I get up and I do my thing. Even on the weekend, even weekends, it's the same. I I just don't need the extra sleep. I'm desperate to say, oh man, I need more sleep because everybody said you got to get seven, eight hours of sleep. But it's like, well, if I sleep that amount of time, then I feel like shit. I just my I just feel terrible if I sleep that long. I'm all groggy. I'm like all uh, it's like so I. Yeah, so I purposely don't set an alarm, so I'm not forcing myself awake. And I've always been a morning person to begin with, even as a kid. And I didn't sleep a lot even as a kid. I just was up because that's just what my body says. Time to get up. Stop lying here. Get up. 
Um, yeah, so that's just it. So I know, I know, you know, the whole sleep thing and I look at it and, and they're saying, you know, so many factors, you know, obesity and all sorts of other things are tied to lack of sleep. So I was like, man, I want to get some more sleep then. I get all these benefits, but my body doesn't want it. So there's a couple of things. First of all, because you're, you're not obese, are you? Mm, yeah. You are incredibly fit and healthy and you do your workouts and your body is... You know, fantastic, I think, for a man of your age. Not that I've seen a man it. of my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, so so just to, to be clear on that. The other thing to, to mention from a sleep point of view, so I think this is the, the key thing. There are lots of things that tell us what we all need. And again, it's about working out what's right for you at that time. So actually there are times I, I mean I used to have maybe five six hours sleep a night um and and I got to the point where I was just dead on my feet I couldn't think straight I certainly couldn't function um I certainly was never calm my stress levels were sky high all the time I would react to every little thing you know it wasn't healthy for me um but this was because what I was trying to do was to to be a parent to young children um as you know, one of my sons has disabilities. So I had a whole extra ton of stuff to deal with that. And I was still, and, and I was growing my business and, and trying to fit myself in and my relationship with my husband at the same time. And, and it just got to the point, it was like, I, I actually can't cope with this, you know, and I kind of literally sort of fell over and had to, to sort of start from scratch. Over the years, what I have found um, and noticed with a lot of people is if you're used to, to li- a lesser amount of sleep, when you get more sleep, you go, right, okay, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to go for seven hours tonight or whatever it happens to be. You will feel groggy. And a lot of the time, depending on how long you've been on less amounts of sleep, it's almost like it takes sort of 24 hours of feeling groggy after having a little bit more. And then the next 24 hours, you feel fantastic. So kind of you can extrapolate that out and and basically say, if you are only used to having four or five or six hours of sleep, and then you suddenly kind of try and make yourself Mm. have eight hours, you will feel quite challenged um, for some time. But there hopefully would come a point where you then come out the other side and go yeah but what if you've been like this all your life as in you don't know any other thing so if it's literally all your life and and literally i mean in the army when i was always paired up with roommates that hated sleep and i was just always up it's just my natural rhythm and that's the point it's your natural rhythm so for you it seems to work Hmm. and you know we'll only know kind of when the final (laughs) final day comes you know whether it's sooner rather than later but like I said you're fit you're healthy you have a very clear head your ability to recall information or to have uh, a conversation to be what is needed in every single moment is excellent therefore it doesn't seem to me that you need more sleep. Yeah, and and I guess this is the thing with the work-life balance as well. And and that these terms get thrown around. And I, you know, I had a good search around in preparing for this sort of episode, and we'll provide the links in the show notes. Um, and because I don't know, you you know, it gets latched onto, and then everyone's throwing this term around, and everyone's telling you, you know, you need to 
balance out your life and your work and and so then you're trying to do these things because that's what the experts say you need to be doing Um, and so you're trying to fit into this mold and you keep saying and you've said repeatedly on the episode so far you know every individual (laughs) is different right so when we try to fit into these models of what experts are telling you that you need um you know, then my question is, do you need to? How about just listening to your own self, your own body, and let it tell you what you need um, to do? Now, I get it. There might be some, if you're, you know, if you're the norm, I guess, I don't know, if you're somewhere in the middle of the pack and, you know, you're almost the same as a interchangeable with the next person next to you, um, then okay, maybe, yes, it applies to a greater majority than a lesser majority of people. So maybe that's why it's done. But I think at the end of the day, you've got to, you know, forget that you're, you're your own expert, as in pay attention to your own body, your own mind and soul, and, and the right thing for you will kind of, you know, kind of work out. Um, just while I got this up now, and this is, again, yeah, we'll provide the show notes to this, and we we're talking about Mental Health Week. Um, and so in the Mental Health site they were saying about um so here are signs of an unhealthy work-life balance they said one-third of people who responded to the survey that they were doing or feel unhappy or very unhappy about the time that they devote to work so again for me it's if you can make work and life the same then i feel you don't have this dichotomy to have to to choose so there's more than 40 percent of employees are neglecting other aspects of their lives because because of work uh, which increases their vulnerability and mental health problems. And then I guess if we bring out the sort of wheel of life and we talk about, well, what are these other aspects of life? So I guess that's, you know, the personal interests that you have, family, time to socialize and go out to restaurants and hang out in the park and do you know, do these leisure things. Um, if you're working so hard that you can't do those, especially if you're working at a place that's not, your play (laughs) then yeah it feels like work so then you don't have time i guess in my head um when working long hours more than a quarter of employees feel depressed 27 percent one third feel anxious 34 percent and more than half feel irritable um other signs the more hours you spend at work the more hours outside of work you are likely to spend thinking or worrying about work so i guess even you work but then you bring your work home and and you're never not there. So, and another thing, as personal as a person's weekly hours increase, so do their feelings of unhappiness. Um, more and more women report unhappiness than men. So, forty percent, forty-two percent of women compare it with twenty-nine percent of men, which is probably a consequences of competing life roles, is what this article is saying, or what the health guys are saying. Um, and they so they have more pressures to juggle than men do, um, and then nearly two thirds of employees have experienced a negative effect on their personal life, including lack of personal development, physical and mental health um, problems, and poor relationships and poor home life. So, um, you know, if you are spending that amount of time at work, and now, and if I caveat why I strive to go make my work and my play the same. When I was working at a job that's tolerable, it's not unpleasant, but you know, if I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't be do it, I wouldn't do it. Um, that I found draining because I had to spend, you know, 12 hours a day at this place when I'd rather be doing 
some other stuff. It was only until I, until I, you know, came closer to my equation of work and play and play being one and the same that it completely changed my life. So I can empathize with folks who are, you know, maybe working because I got to pay the bills and the job is all right. It's not, you know, it's not earth shattering thing, but you know, I do it and I go home and I'm able to pay my bills and go on holiday and all those kind of things. Um, but I don't have much time in quotation marks for other things that I would actually like to be doing because I've got to work. Yes. So you've raised three kind of big chunks in there. The first was basically about, so how about just listening to yourself? You are your own expert. The, the only reason that people listen to experts and try what's being suggested and then trying to incorporate that into their own life, whether it's to do with sleep or, or time or whatever it happens to be, is because something's not working for them. And there again, it's a continuum. So we have people who are very good at listening to their bodies and reacting to what is needed or wanted. Um, but actually, and in fact, this goes back to another podcast that we recorded, which is how much of the expectation on us is placed on us or we provide that expectation from looking at society as opposed to being driven by what we want to do. And you can get to a point where you don't know what it is that you're motivated to do from you deep within or what you're motivated to do because that's almost an expectation of society. So this is, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm obviously very focused on the well-being side of things. And actually what you've just said in surely you're your own expert, that is the journey that most people have to go on, on a well-being journey to understand that they are the own expert in their, in their own body and with their own mind. They just have to take away the layers to get down. But don't you think the industry has created that condition? As in, you know, everybody's telling you you're broken. They're not saying it overtly, but why do you need a, you know, a coach or why do you need, why, why is our profession sprung up? Um, why does people, why do people sell on other people? You know, lack, you know, you create a lack in somebody's. So we can exist if there isn't a lack or we convince people that there's a lack or something missing in their lives. And then by creating that lack, you create more anxiety and therefore a need for a coach or a well-being person or a specialist this or a specialist that. So, or, you know, we have, we created this as less has, 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 you know, this, the ideas of success that society kind of springs on you also created this, this lack you know you lack this and therefore because you lack this thing you need to work harder so you can have all these other things and um, it just seems to be that it's a artificial construct that's that's kicked in um that didn't always exist in us as humans in our evolution so i I can see why you would say it's an artificial construct because a lot of these things are artificially constructed. You know, when you look at 
a lot of the work we do in the world, do we really need it? Um, what you've hit on is something that's really, really interesting and, and again, very personal to me at this moment. So the first 15 years of being a coach, um, I and I, I've always been very conscious of not creating a lack in people. I've always been very conscious of only offering what I feel people need. And so the first 15 years of my business were all about helping people take back control of their life, whatever the circumstances. So, you know, very much what people are kind of going through with COVID-19 now. And I was doing that because that's what happened to me when, you know, my life got turned upside down overnight by having a baby at, you know, being six months pregnant. So I had had to cope with that. I did all the self-isolation then because I had to, and there's a whole big story around that. But you know, I kind of came out of that and looked after myself. And then when I started coaching um, professionally, then I realized that actually a lot of other people had the same needs. So people were being made redundant, for example. People were losing um, spouses earlier than they expected. And that might be to another marriage uh, or another relationship, or it might be because spouses were you know were, were terminally ill and dying at a much younger age and there was a need people needed help they they wanted to have some space for themselves they wanted to be able to work through things um in a way that allowed them to process their emotions whether okay, that... i'm going to be controversial here okay <laughs> like because you're never controversial yeah. And my controversial is, so what are people who can't afford coaching or well-being things? Well, how do they cope? So if you go to your... It is a very much a luxury, isn't it? Uh, it's a luxury working with people privately. Um, although now, 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 And I'm not talking therapy, and I get therapy. That's a, a different thing than, say, coaching. Therapy and your brain's broken and you need to get it fixed <laughs> for some reason. I mean, therapy implies that something's not working right with your, in your brain. Um, or you need counseling again, different from coaching. Um, those different, those, cause those are different disciplines altogether, but coaching itself is purely a luxury. And then how do these people who don't have that kind of cash how are they getting on with life? And I would assume that there's a bigger majority of people than there that don't have access to coaching than there is people that have access to coaching. So what do they do? I'll tell you my answer after you tell me yours. Okay, great. Because I do <laughs> what you're saying. So basically, um, and I'll try and keep it brief and then come back to answer that mm. question because it's a very valid question and mm. one that I've often thought of. So the first 15 years of my you know, my business life were very much about helping people take back control of their life, i.e. something was broken, they weren't happy, they were looking for a solution. And in fact, in the last two to three years, I am evolving my work so that I'm working with people who are happy with life, but they're looking you know, they, they want to, to continue their development. So it's, it's a very different focus. And that's because I'm in a very different place. So I want to work with people very differently. Now I can obviously still help people with the deep emotional stuff. You know, that is an absolute skill of mine, but I also want to be, um, 
And I will use the term playing because you can play more with people who are in a, uh, a more secure place to start with. Going back to, to your question, you're saying, okay, so actually, what about the people who can't afford coaching? So there is now, because coaching kind of is becoming, and I, we can't call it a profession because there are a lot of people who are unqualified out there. There isn't kind of the rigorousness in place to um, kind of check on not just coaches' credentials, but also their their experience and their practice. Um but it's certainly a, an industry. And I think that's the thing to be very careful of uh, when you're choosing somebody to work with. So you can have, you know, there's a variety of coaches out there because there are lots of new coaches who will charge obviously a lot less. But then there's also some experienced coaches or people who are now doing this and, and will have a range of prices. I'll um, tell you who has the answer to your this question. Oh, okay. So, yeah. and I was just going to say, and the other thing is, there's a heck of a lot available on the internet. Lots of YouTube videos. Um, Crocodile and- Dundee has the answer. Right. Go on. What does he say? He says, "Don't you have mates?" But that's the point, isn't it? You know, you were saying when you were reading from one of the websites earlier that women are more likely Not to mates. That, that kind of mates, friends. Yeah. No, that's yeah. my point. So wait, <laughs> so there are lots of people, uh, it was saying that more women are likely to express, and I'm paraphrasing, dissatisfaction um, with their work-life balance. Now, my I kind of immediately thought, well, is that because that's a genuine response or is that because women are more likely to raise their hand and say, something's not working for me, I need to have a chat, get some help, whatever it happens to be. And there are many, 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 many men who might go down the pub with their mates, but they don't actually talk about anything other than the football. Which is what we need. That's all we need. Really? Yeah. Uh, if if I tell you this from a man's point of view, now, now, and this is going to be a this will be a subject for another podcast. But I read wrote a, read a book written by a woman, basically, but it was. It was called it was called chained or something like that. But basically, she's saying men are going through their own um, the same thing that women did before you guys got women's lives. So we're going through our own crisis, and in fact, we forgot how to be men um, now because so many people are telling us how men supposed to be, and we got to be these asexual creatures, and we've got to be um, you know attentive. You know, we got to be all these things that maybe some other people think that we need to be but we don't so she's saying that we're broken i think that's the book's called broken um and that we need to go through our own renaissance to figure out who we are as men again um and and so yeah so going to the pub <laughs> and hanging out with your mates and you do talk we do talk about more than just football we talk about any number of things but we talk about it in our way i mean if you got good mates you talk about it in a way that works for you as a man and you can work through it. Like I got a friend, we'll go hiking and we'll go for a long hike and we'll go all around the houses about a whole bunch of things um, that we're able to express in the way that we express as men. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't buy the fact that, I, well, I think that part of the issue is that, and I agree with this lady, is that men are having their own crisis and we've got to work through that. We've got to, 
remember how to be men again. Because um, I was asking, I, asked, I wrote a little essay about this, is that, you know, we used to have, um, you know, these rites of passage things. So one of the differences, you know, the big difference between sort of men and women here is that um, women, you become a woman. Nature lets you know when you're a woman because you start having your first period. You can't get away from it. But men, men don't have that same physical thing that marks you from, you know, boy to man. And so in our past, we used to have, you know, these rituals. And part of those rituals would then teach you how to be a man in your tribe and your society and what you needed to do. That being stripped away, because we now all go to school, we all sort of do the same thing and all the genders are connected. Men have lost that critical part of their development that they needed to help them to make this transition as men. Um, and without that, you know, military helps. So, so, you know, guys that go off to the military, they get some of that ritual back because you come in and they, you know, the whole idea is they strip all the civilianness out of you and then we're going to rebuild you again. And they instill values. I mean, if uh, I don't have them to hand to me now, when Devin was going off to uh, the army down in Purbright, as soon as you come in, you can see the values, loyalty. Um, you know, there's a list of values that, you know, by the time they're done, those values are going to be internalized. So they get, you know, they get stripped of all that stuff that they come, the baggage that they bring, and they get rebuilt again. But then they learn interdependency, they learn camaraderie, they learn um, dependency and, and, and responsibility and left, you know, the people. So they learn a whole lot of things um, that helps them to be soldiers before we used to have helping you to be a man. And we've stripped that out. So where do, where do men go to learn how to be men is the question. And it's a great question. Which might be a, a, a topic for another uh, podcast. I absolutely think that we should do that. So mm. it's something that, you know, I'm very aware of, as we've talked before. I've got two teenage sons. Um, I think the other thing that's an issue is uh, the nuclear family. So we mm. live nowhere near any of our relatives. And... You know, there's, 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 yeah, I, I, I could go on about this, but basically, there's a great book called Raising Boys by Steve Bidolf, which mm. is a very quick and easy read, um, and it, it sort of, it just says some very key things about what a boy needs, kind of naught to seven, seven to fourteen, and, and fourteen to, to twenty-one plus. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think there are, or I, I think unless we actively seek. A community for our children, um, but particularly our men, I, our boys into men. I don't think there is a way that helps them understand necessarily themselves, actually, uh, and never mind, therefore, what their values are and so on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so we'll save that. We'll save that. Yeah. For a more in-depth one, because um, I think it's one worth un unpacking completely, totally. Um, so then, you know, again, thinking about work life, one of the questions I haven't asked you, which is a which is a question, you know, I suppose that we've been wrestling with since the dawn of time. But what is a life for? So again, if you're talking work life balance, 
um, and we're going and we're doing these things and I want to balance stuff out and all of the stuff that we've been talking about so far on the podcast. So what actually is a life for? What a great question. So years ago, I read a book on my path of well-being. It was it was very near the beginning of when I was consciously doing this by a guy called Neil Donald Walsh. And I can't remember the name of the book, um, but there was a, a kid's version. And essentially what this book was saying was that we are all spirit, we are all energy, and to actually learn things, so to evolve, that soul or spirit kind of inhabits a human body or melds with a human body is probably a a nice way of putting it. And then, therefore, living life is a way of helping that etheric energy evolve in somehow or some way. Okay. That's what a life is for, to evolve into some something. That was what Neil Donald Walsh uh, was saying in his book. So I don't know what you think about that. I'm kind of curious. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows the answer to the question, of what, which is why it's always a thing that's a, a debate so i mean some would say that a life is you know because we're driven by our genes and you like all life it's to survive and propagate the species so you know you come you mate and make more humans and keep that going and then that's what a life is for create more humans um like you know just a part of that sort of uh, ecosystem and maybe just because of the development of our minds so we moved you know from being just pure animals that we now have so much more um so well, if I, well i'll go back before i get to this one so maybe we probably had a more um we probably didn't have the question so the question was probably less vague in terms of what it's for in some of our development so before we had more leisure time that we have now so if I was born to a blacksmith and I would have been a blacksmith, I would have known what my life was for, which was to, you know, okay, I'm alive. Now I got to learn how to be a blacksmith because I'm the next blacksmith after my, you know, my father passes. I was a farmer then or whatever my trade was, you know, I just did the same thing that my parents did. Um, go into the industrial age and we start making machines and, uh, in factories, you know, now people can start to specialize into other things and branch out. And so I don't have to follow the same thing that my father did. So suddenly I've got more choices, but in those choices, um, maybe we get lost. And I know we talked about maybe having a, a podcast on how do you, how do kids these days just decide what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. So part of the thing is they got too many choices now, isn't it? So you could go off and be all kind of things. Whereas before you wouldn't have had a choice. It was just been based on who you were born to. <laughs> um, and that would have, that would have been the end of that story, you know, already. Um, so, you know, so take that away. Now suddenly we find ourselves in a place that you do have to maybe kind of figure out what is your life for, and I know they've been doing this for centuries, so they would have asked the same kind of questions in ancient Greece as well. You know, what is a life for? And for them, it was um, to live a moral life was what a life was for. So to do, um, you know, to do right, uh, excellence, which is another thing I picked up from the Greeks, is a term called arete. And so for them, it was about being excellent in all things. 
um, that a person could be excellent in, and that was the focus of their life. So they would hate to die without having, you know, proved that in, you know, so it was an honor to die in battle, or it was an honor to, because you were off doing something, you know, heroic, I guess, um, and proving that you're excellent at whatever it is that you were excellent at. Um, in an all-around sense. So that was their sort of sense of purpose was being excellent in everything that you could be excellent, which is why there wasn't specialization. So you would have, you know, they, I could be a scientist and a farmer. I didn't have to say I was a farmer. I didn't have to go to college to be a scientist. I just had an interest in rocks. So I study rocks as well as, you know, tending to my cows. Or And now actually I'm interested in the stars. So I've studied the stars. So, you know, I didn't have these... Um, again, you, you weren't limited. You weren't, someone didn't say, here's a gatekeeper. Actually, if you want to be an astronomer, you need to go to university for four years, pay us all this kind of money, and some experts will tell you how and about the stars, and then blessed that you're an astronomer, kindly, kind of, unless you get a job as an astronomer. And we did talk about the identity thing. So we have all these things that force us to be more like insects than like humans. Um, and the Greeks were t- totally opposite to that, as in, you know, you you weren't an insect, so hence you can do whatever a human could do. And it was based off of what you felt passionate about. I mean, think of all the things that have been invented that the ancient Greeks invented, but they didn't have universities. They didn't have professors. Um, you did then end up having philosophers and sophists that kind of challenge you to think about what is a life for but i didn't go to school to be uh, a philosopher i didn't go to school to be an astronomer i didn't you didn't so all these sciences of geometry you know i didn't go to they didn't go to school to be a mathematician um i had a curiosity how does this work and then that person sat down and to figure out how does this thing work? I mean, it's some, when you look at ancient Greek culture, you have to marvel at the fact that here's some dudes who have no none of the technology that we have access to today and figuring this stuff out on their own back, not going to school, not having to go through education system, just having a natural curiosity and, and figure it out. And we've lost that, I think, to a large degree because everybody feels, you mentioned about having credentials. You know, everybody feels I got to have credentials to do this or do that or um, that, you know, we don't have the spirit of, you know, I'm curious. I mean, some people do. I mean, there's inventors are great for it and they don't have credentials necessarily, but they have a curiosity. So I start fiddling with things and figure it out and then, um, or, you know, a lot of the kids nowadays with the whole sort of computer things, the kind of advances that we've come in computers, it's because some kid in his flipping bedroom is tinkering with stuff, you know? They haven't gone to school yet to be a computer scientist. I just have a passion for this machine, and I'm learning to code, and I learn from my other friends who like coding, and I pick up stuff, and I'm pushing buttons, and I'm experimenting. So these guys are like true scientists and i know you've done shamanism they were true scientists it's like well what does that do if i put it there oh it does that and i remember okay well what if i do this to it so they're driven by this natural curiosity and i think that's something that we've lost um and i know we're probably i've strayed in that little tirade there from work-life balance um 
But I guess it comes back to me. If I tie it all together, I'm saying all that to say is that for me, your work and the life, if you make those things the same, as my little quote in the beginning, then there isn't the competition for between work and life. You're just doing your thing. Then I need to, you know, I've done it. Now I can rest and go play football. I don't feel like, oh, shit, if I'm doing this leisure thing, in quotation marks, um, you know, that's, you know, I don't have time to do that because I got to be working or I got to be getting ready for work. And, you know, now I'm disgruntled about going to work because it's taking me away from doing the thing that I get fun out of or enjoyment out of. Um yeah, so that's 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 how I make that whole last five minutes <laughs> come back together. It's because of that. And I think you're right. I think, you know, the more that we can kind of be led by, so, so I talk a lot about energy. So the more you're led by your energy, if your energy is driving you to do something, if your energy is saying, I want to go kick a ball about in the back garden or, or I want to go on a, you know, a, a hike with my mate and talk things through, or your energy is saying, you know what, I really want to delve deeper into this bit of work that I am doing, that I am being paid to do. That's it. Go with it. Follow wherever you can essentially follow your intuition or your energy, your drive, follow your curiosity, find it again, because we did all have it at some point when we were children. Um, you know, go with that because it enriches everything. It really does. Yeah, and you just said something that made me remember about amateur. We were okay with being amateurs, but when we invented this term about being the professional, we've lost the spirit of amateurism. If you, if anybody listening, if you just Google amateur and amateurism, because it's on the rise again as a movement, so I encourage you to be an amateur, because um, am amateur... It lost its nomenclature, amateur in its original form, is again about being driven by your curiosity and your passion and that kind of thing. Then it became to be a symbol for someone who was less than a professional or who was, you know, yeah, essentially not that good. But the original thing of an amateur is you just, you know, so yeah, you're just as good as anybody who's getting paid for something. Yeah. Um, in it, so you know, being able to embrace being an amateur again, um, it's but it's this thing. It's the work about society, and you need to have the big houses and cars and all these things, which means you need to go and work and get a bit this great job so you can have lots of money. Um, and so then you've got a profession because I'm getting paid. You just said that word. I'm getting paid to do this thing. I'll do it because I'm getting paid to do it. If I'm not getting paid to do it, then it's it's a waste of time. You know, again, I think this is tied into our society. So if I'm if I'm writing and I'm not getting paid for it, it's a it's a waste of time in some people's eyes. Um, if you're getting paid for it, getting paid for it becomes a justification for doing anything. You're getting paid for it, ooh, yeah, okay, good. Not getting paid for it, who has time to be doing that? You know, some people give me a hard time for reading books. I don't have time to read um, because I'm too busy working or doing other things. Well, that's just crazy. Um, that's just about prioritization isn't it? What is it yeah well no and some of it is about prioritization but I think some of it is about how things are you know we had this big push to be productive 
So if I'm sitting, I am sitting and I'm reading, that doesn't, in a lot of eyes, that's not practical and that's not productive. You're not turning the tool. I was looking at Warren Buffett's, he has a couple of um, uh, things out on the net you can read. And he reads, so he's like one of the richest men in the world. But he says he's that way because actually where other people being productive are working five, six, seven, eight, you know, all the time isn't working. He reads like seven or eight hours a day. That's his work Hmm. because that gives him the insight to make these great decisions that he's made over the years. So his time, so he doesn't see reading as a waste of time. Reading is essential to the, him being one of the richest men in the world. Um, so like you were just saying about your writing, for example, mm. you know, you don't get paid for it per se, absolutely not. But it's a skill. It, it first of all, it's allowing you to process your own thoughts, which of course reading also helps us to do. Um, and when you're writing things, that is allowing you to hone a skill and to move into maybe different content areas. And it will enrich the other parts of your life. So if somebody is saying, well, I'm only going to do it if I get paid for it, actually, you're writing. And I I know this is not what you're saying, but when you write, that may enhance the next course that you deliver. Or, Mm. Well, it's the same with exercise. People say, well, I don't exercise because I don't have time. Even though if you take care of your body, your body will take care of you. But I don't have time. That is another topic we need to talk about because obviously I've kind of come to exercise quite late in life. I did a lot of exercise until I went to university Mm. and then basically uh, not even dabbled, but kind of let's not go there kind of thing for 20 odd years. And then in the last sort of five years, down to a couple of very good friends and the husband um i now i, I now get it mm. and obviously i don't exercise in the same way that you do but yeah i think we should absolutely do a podcast. yeah we'll do a do, we'll do a podcast on that because uh, um there's a it's called the mo- um well there's a movement on movement <laughs> and and you know one of the things that they talk about is people look at exercise it's, it's because and, and this is this whole, totally relates to work-life balance we've made everything a to-do list and we made mm-hmm. everything about productivity. So exercise is another thing on the to-do list. Yep. And I got to prioritize, as you just said, you know, what am I going to do on this to-do list? Exercise, because it's not, I'm not getting paid to do it necessarily. I know it might be good for my heart, but all my big long to-do list, I don't have time to get to it. And one of the things that this the movement uh, guys are about is the fact that make it play again, not make it a task to be done mm. and that you're exercising in quotation marks all day long and whether you're walking up the stairs or you just drop and do some push-ups or you just so you make it a part of your movement throughout the day not that at 1600 i gotta go and work out in quotation marks if you do do that make it i'm gonna get 1600 i'm gonna go play when we were a kid you went out to the playground to play and you just did stuff you moved your body around like the body's meant to be moved around and you played and have all these regimes and exercise regimes that you got to do you went outside and you used the body for what the body's made to do run jump climb swim crawl um that is what the body is for uh, but we don't use it anymore for what it's for and then we focus on not we focus on looking good not 
focus on what the body can do. Uh, anyway, absolutely. but I yes. better stop because otherwise we'll not, this will be a double episode because we'll end up going away. So um, I think bringing this full circle back around. So work-life balance, is it a myth? And I did find an article here that says, is work work-life balance dead, which we can just add in the show notes because I don't have time to necessarily talk about it. But um, I think you have to, you know, I guess it's about rebalancing or re- or addressing where does work in quotation mark fit into your life. And then, um, you know, if you're in a, if your mindset is such that the work that you're doing, you find fulfillment out of doing it for whatever reason, you know, you know, find your way into the fulfillment. It doesn't, you know, just, yeah, you got to find your way into the fulfillment of that. Uh, you know, what? one thing that I did miss Go is, on. is um, you know, there's this movement called never not working. I don't, I've not heard of that. Yeah. And so for, th- and, and, and I'm with these guys cause that's kind of probably where I sit in the never not working. They embody the fact, and I know they get a lot of they get a lot of stick from the work life balance people. Um, but then, you know, the counter argument is actually the work that I do feeds my soul and brings me great joy. So why would I not want to do it? Um, and yeah, it's not for everyone that kind of lifestyle that some of these folks lead. But for them, that's where they get their maximum utility enjoy from is in the work that they're doing and so yeah they're working stupid hours 18 hours a day or whatever but that's their what they you know that's what they enjoy um that feeds their soul yeah. so that's all so it's, it's uh, never not working um yeah which is the camp i fall it's like never not people be asking me like, oh why was you know it's you know there is no difference for me so yeah that's why you quite often will see i'm you know i'm doing stuff at 10 o'clock at night or 11 because it um it it's the same as playing for me so that'd be like well why are you still playing <laughs> well because i like doing it because it's fun um so yeah okay i think that's all that i have to say on this <laughs> well, i don't think it is all you have to say it is all i have to say but i think Roughly trying to cope with an hour's worth, so yeah. that people, you know. But I'd be listen. curious to know what other folks think about work-life balance, um, and it'd be good to hear from a range of people because, as you say, I mean, it might, it might have a different outtake on it. Like a lot of the folks in the never not working are all, you know, Generation Z and millennials and things. I mean, or yeah, you know, so they're younger people. Um, <laughs> although you know, a lot of the ones that they're getting the never not working from are people our age. Um, it, it, because entrepreneurship has become the buzzword of the times and lots of people want to be entrepreneurs because I can be the next Mark Zuckerberg and have billions of dollars instead of you know, some scraps. <laughs> um, so there's the big thing with entrepreneurship um, that's kind of the, the thing that's behind the never not working thing because of that lifestyle of the entrepreneur, uh, which is different from the business owner, which is different from you know, the corporate kind of worker. In fact, I think some people equate entrepreneurship and artists, as in, you know, artists is always on. Um, it's not something you just turn off. It's just a thing. And then so some, I'm entrepreneurs in my DNA. It's what I am. When you take me away from doing my stuff, then that's when I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
again, you see, we could go off on one about that as well. Hmm. Um, you can keep going. You don't have to stop just yet. If you have something to say, go on, say it. Well, it's fine because I, I do think we would end up kind no, of... No, keep just... going. No, get it out. <laughs> so, I I mean, I have a big question mark. You know, there's lots of people who call themselves entrepreneurs hmm. and then I'm not an entrepreneur. You know, I don't know if you would class yourself as one, but... No. I, I know that I am not, but there's so many people out there who say they are. And it's just, and I, I am a bit, um, oh, I don't know what the word is, fussy, for want of a better term, on words and what they mean. So uh, I like I like people, that's one of the things where I like people to kind of know when they say a word, this is what they, they're actually referring to. Yeah. And the kind of going back to the sort of the work-life balance, giving the never not working people a lot of sticks. See, to me, it's that's evolution. I think we had to go and we didn't really pick this up actually before but we had we've had to go through this whole work-life balance kind of conversation and training and awareness and all the rest of it you want to talk about and to move into this kind of never not working because when you are fueled by doing what you love when you are fueled by something that gives you energy then why would you shut the door on it at five o'clock and so long as you aren't neglecting the other areas of your life um you know then actually I, I, yeah, I, I love the sound of never not working. Yeah. And I think that's right. Your, your key that you just said there is that you're not neglecting the rest of your humanness. So you've got a mind you've got to take care of. You've got a body you've got to take care of. You've got a soul that you've got to take care of. Um, and so don't forget all the dimensions. So if you become even, even if you're, you know, the never not working and, you know, I get all my utility from doing this thing, you still are human and have other human needs. So... Um, as long as you are giving attention to those other aspects that make you human, uh, then you're good to go. And you're lucky, you're, again, lucky if all you get all of that in your work. Absolutely, absolutely. Then I, then I don't have to divide or prioritize or anything because I get it all from my one thing, like what physical when I was in the army, didn't have to exercise. That's what we did all damn day. When we were, not only did we do PT, but then your whole of your day was physical. So I was exercising 18 hours a day. See, I love working with people who've been in the military. Mm. Um, And I've got a couple of friends, you're one and another guy who's, who's in personal development is another. And both of you were in the military and I love working with you because you are focused and you are structured. And from that focus and structure, we get to play, you know, mm. and, and actually partly this is, is where the idea for this podcast came from because of conversations I was having with my other friend, who's also, as I say, ex-minute. we have to get him on as a guest sometime. You know what? That would be awesome mm. because and I think you two would, well, I would hope you'd get along really well because we could explore so much. Um, and, and so I kind of, I, I mentioned that because I do think that having, and, and again, you want to talk about work-life balance or never not working. Um, it's about having a structure because if you have whatever that structure may be, if you have a structure from there, you can play. If you mm. don't have a structure, you're constantly running around. You don't know what your center, was it your center of locus? locus? I can't remember. There's a mm. phrase around that anyway. You know, you don't know what that is. And then you kind of feel that you never achieve anything or you never, you know, you feel unfulfilled because what you're actually doing by going with things is, is you're going with the, the sort of the short term needs that pop up. Mm. Whereas having a structure, 
yes, you can respond in the instant to something, but you also have uh, an ongoing progression. And that's where you get the deep fulfillment from. So instead of just doing adrenaline-fueled activities, you're doing activities that replenish you, that feed your soul. And there was another point that I wanted to mention. I'm so sorry, because see, now you said go on. Of course, I'm going, oh, well. Talking about the difference in entrepreneurs and business owners, you know, there's a, a term where people talk about lifestyle businesses. And there's a lot of people who would say a lifestyle business is somebody who doesn't need to work for a living. It's a lifestyle business in that kind of it's it's probably the second income in the family sort of thing. Um, but actually, as we're talking, I'm thinking we've had kind of the work-life balance, never not working is a phrase that works take that actually this is about it's about lifestyle work Mm. or lifestyle business and And that's what that's what the never not working is it's a lifestyle isn't it? it's a lifestyle thing that is just a part of their it's a part of their day (laughs) it's part of their life providing you fulfilling all your needs and your responsibilities Mm. you know to people or to paying the mortgage or rent or whatever it is absolutely Mm. Mm. Yeah, now that's good. Um, so yeah, so it'd be great to hear uh, other people's thoughts on that. Either in the sort of Facebook group would be great. That'd be a fantastic place to drop your thoughts, or you can hit us up on uh, Twitter. Drop your thoughts there. Wherever you prefer to have your conversations, uh, we're everywhere, so we can have a conversation wherever you like. Because I know there's uh, people out there that don't dig on the old whole Facebook thing, so you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Um. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you all. Until next time. Bye Bye. from me. Yay.